Gorgeous George and Goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on. From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes are back with another fun show for the next hour or so as we discuss the latest news in mixed martial arts. I am in California. Goes is in Las Vegas. So uh, we're not together for this one. But uh, either way, we're both ready to bring it. You know, there's some news to talk about. And there's a lot of like he said, she said, finger pointing, back and forth, whatever you want to call it. But I'm really intrigued and I want to get into it. One of them involves Francis Ngannou and Dana White. The other one, Aljamain Sterling and Sean O'Malley. And I'll tell you what, some brilliant responses on behalf of O'Malley and Francis Ngannou. So we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk a little bit about Fight Night 224 with Mackenzie Dern and Angela Hill at the top of the bill. A little bit of bare knuckle news as well. And then lastly, uh, an interview with the legend himself, Randy Couture. So it's going to be a fun show. It's a, th- it's a Sunday night show for your Monday morning delivery. So you UKers. Oceanic listeners of the show, you'll get an early start. So let's get to it. All right, guys, let's get the quick one out of the way. We'll do this drama stuff because it involves big names in our sport. And then we'll get to the fight night card which wasn't as bad as it looked on paper. Um, Some good performances can usually bail out a card that doesn't look that sexy on paper. But anyway, check this out, goes. So Aljamain Sterling and Sean O'Malley, it was announced they were going to headline UFC. What is it? 292. No, 291. Uh. No, 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 no. 292 on August 19th, right? In Boston, Massachusetts. But then I guess Algerine Sterling did some interviews or maybe it was on his own podcast. But the point is he put it out there that, well, I did receive a vow agreement. Yes, we're talking, but I'm not 100% in. And, you know, I, it's a quick turnaround. Um, I'm nicked up a little bit. If I can get through a few workouts and yeah, maybe I'm in almost like, Hey, look, I hold some weight. You know, no one ran this by me. I, I got a few things to to, to talk about, right? Mm-hmm. And Dana gets asked about this at the the fight night 2024 post-fight press conference. And he just kind of goes, <sighs> like, the South Jermaine Sterling's his own worst enemy. He, he just can't get, he can't get um, out of his own way. He did say he reached out to his manager just to make sure, hey, what's going on here, you know, and that's when the manager intervened and said, hey, look, um, he's going through some stuff, but it does look like we'll be there. Anyway, so as you know, Algerine's never been too popular with the UFC, despite the fact that he's got three title defenses. Now he's creeping up on Dominic Cruz and, 
You know, like it seems like he's stepping out in his own shadow, right? But yet this guy still almost seems like I'm trying to think of the perfect analogy for it, but almost like Jan Brady. You know, you know what I mean goes from the from the Brady bunch where it was like everyone kind of had a little bit of some love for one reason or another. Greg was the oldest and Marsha was pretty and whatever. But Jan was kind of like, yeah, yeah, Jan, like the middle child. You know what I mean? And that's how kind of this guy is. So then goes, Algernon Sterling says, I guess he kind of has had enough. And he goes out and tweets, fuck it. Let's run it on July 8th and see if you're really built like that. At Sean Sh- Sugar Sean MMA, at ESPN MMA, at UFC. Almost like hunting, you know, almost like, all right, bitches, this is how champions you know, get down. This is what the next level's like or whatever, right? And so, you know, I got to admit, that was pretty aggressive move. You know what Sean O'Malley told him? He told him, I ain't see you on August 19th. So he basically said, I ain't really built like that. See you on August 19th. He made it short and sweet, but basically let him know, no, you know, I'm kind of running the show here. I'm the A side. We told you we'd see you on August 19th. That's when we'll see you. I mean, absolutely kind of punked them with those tweets, with that tweet. What, what, or, or did I read too into it? No, no. When you were doing the intro, mm-hmm. I was glad that it seemed like we're on the same page. Because I'm hoping you're going to go down this route with Francis Ngannou, too. Because he had sort of a similar stance. And mm-hmm. that, to me, when you hold the cards... When you're the one that people come to, you're supposed to keep it short and sweet. Mm-hmm. And that's what he did. You know, it's funny because I, feel, I, I like Aljamain Sterling, and I feel bad at times that he gets this type of rap or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that was a 10-9 round. It was it was uh, Sugar Sean O'Malley's. He basically said, in a way, like, quit acting like a kid and let's just get to business. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he, he dismissed it mm-hmm. like like as if a little kid spoke up, you know, like when when you're uh, debating who the greatest basketball player of all time is and, and a little nine year old goes, I got an opinion. And you just kind of go, ah, shut up, little kid. Let's let's move mm-hmm. on. That's what he kind of did to him. And I'm sure I mean, God, he just made him look silly is, is really what it was. Dude, it was hilarious. When I read it, I just went, damn, like, I mean, he basically just told him, I ain't really built like that, all right? You got me. I'm, I'm not built like you. You're you're the superhero. But now shut up, and I'll see you on the 19th, you know, like, mm-hmm. stop with the games already. Enough, you know, he kind of told him, see you on the 19th. Oh, my God. If I'm Aljo and I read that, I'd be like, oh, bitch. Like, okay, all right, then, like, you know, I don't, I don't know. Okay, me personally? I think I'd t- step aside from Twitter and go, hold on a second. This guy zinged me good. Unless I got something up my sleep right, sleeve right now, I'm just going to back away for a couple days. He won. But, yeah, you know, I'm going to think of something or whatever to flex. But basically, O'Malley made it sound like he's the A-side. Mm-hmm. Totally. It, it just it was it, hilarious. Yeah, like silly. It was, it was a good comeback. I like Sterling. I think he's really stepped out of the shadow of the guy that's kind of disrespected and shouldn't have been there and acted and this and that. He's followed it up with three title defenses. And, you know, he's slick, man. He really is. 
Um, but yeah, right here, like, you know, and, and it didn't go good for a few of these guys. Tyron Woodley, same thing was, you know, he seemed to kind of act like, well, hold on a second. No one's talked to me. I got to think about it. I'm not sure. And everybody be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. See you on the 19th. See you in September. See you in, Ju in July or whatever. And then he'd show mm -hmm. up. So it's kind of like this. It's this flex with the, it's this flex with that carries very little weight. You know what I mean? You know, it's a, it's a sad situation because um, when you think about it, Aljamain Sterling is a great fighter, and mm -hmm. he wasn't one of these guys that we saw early on and said, "Wow, this guy has the potential of being one of the greatest band." Like we never said that. He just quietly got there on his own, mm -hmm. and um, you have to respect him for going that route. But along the way, he pissed off the UFC, and 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 the the shitty thing about the UFC is. It's out there in the public, right? You can just kind of see they don't like him. Even in the situation that they're trying to present him now, it's just kind of like, well, you can kind of tell that they're trying to stack the chips in O'Malley's favor, right? O'Malley's had time to rest, to get better. Aljamain just came off a fight, and they're already saying, get in there and fight this guy. You know, like, I think anybody else speaks up and says, well, I'm a little banged up from the last fight. I think you kind of try and accommodate that, especially when it's your champion. Mm -hmm. uh, instead, it's just kind of like, hey, man, if we're gonna, if this guy's gonna lose, we need every little advantage we can get. And so, um, and I think Aljamain kind of feels that a little bit, and I think that's why he kind of responds in the way he does. But mm -hmm. then people come back at him so hard that I think it makes him say things like that. Well, yeah, well, then let's do it even sooner, you know. And then, but then uh, I just feel bad for him because then Sean O'Malley absolutely served them up with that that comment. He sure did, man. Um, okay, so here's another one. This one's with Francis Ngannou and Dana White. So Dana was asked about Francis Ngannou's contract because Francis announced on Tuesday he's with the PFL. Dana White, after that, um, basically had a bunch of announcements talking about what they're doing that's, you know, be popping in the summer. Reiterated UFC 290, announced 291 with the new BMF belt uh, for grabs, and then 292 with uh, Aljamain Sterling and Sean O'Malley, and then a bunch of other fights. So then this Saturday, he finally got asked, all right, so now what do you think of Wangani's contract? And Dana said a bunch of stuff. It's there on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash MMA Junkie Video. But basically, he was criticizing, wait, they're paying him a lot of money, and he still doesn't fight till next year. And the whole boxing thing, that's just not our thing. We did do it with Connor, but I was against it the whole time. But that was a unicorn. Connor's massive. Floyd's massive. But Ngannou's just not there. He's not He's not that guy. He's not, he's not a superstar on that level where we kind of stop traffic, stop two sports at one time, and then figure out some sort of a super fight. In fact, he even went through one by one, like Joshua and Fury and how they're basically not taking Ngannou serious, you know? So mm -hmm. he spent about a good five to seven minutes, I'd guess, I, I'd guess on um, addressing it. And so um, Ngannou takes to Twitter and he says the following. He says, what is your problem with me? He says, I completed my contract. I was a free agent and chose to walk away. You didn't release me. And I remember hearing Dana White said, when we released him, 
Okay, next. Mm -hmm. He says, I hate taking risks. That's why I defended my title to fulfill my contract with no ACL or MCL. And that's a strong point because Dana White went out of his way to say John Jones obliterated Gone, whereas Ngannou went to a five-round decision, which is true. However, um, John uh, Ngannou was hurt. That's documented. You know, and he gutted it out. He won. And plus, Styles make fights. You know what I mean? Like, um, Jones went after it. You know, he went after the takedown. Something Francis isn't that interested in. He, you know, even though that fight did come down to some wrestling in the end, um, those guys stood and wanted to knock each other out. But regardless, Jones won. We'll give him that. No one's denying it. So he continues here with his answer. He now goes to point number three. Um, he says, the reason I fought three times in three years, which is something Dana White pointed out, is because you wanted to control my deal and sign a new one and freeze me out. Quote, I owe these guys three fights a year. Isn't that what you say? What happened? I always asked for and never said no to any fight in three years. And you know what goes? I'm glad he brought that up because Dana White says that a lot, that he has to offer a lot of these guys fights three times a year. If not, he has to pay them. I'm not so sure that happens like that because I've talked to a crap load of fighters that just haven't got the call. There's not enough spots or whatever. Um, so I think that's something he leans on. And I think more fighters are going to start calling him out on that because it, it sounds to me like it's BS. They just have too many fighters and not enough fight cards. As crazy as that sounds, because we're always criticizing them for having so many fight cards. But I don't think each guy has to get guy and gal has to get the three fights. That's just a little sidebar there to this whole thing he continues um he says i'm finally getting paid and respected and have a deal that's fair and equal for all parties why are you so against me being free and happy so now he's almost like serious you know like looking them in the eye and saying come on in your next reply to me whatever it may be be a grown-up and at least address that like why do you why can't you just let me be happy finally he closes with this if you ever really want the John Jones fight to happen, reach out to at Peter Murray PFL whenever, wherever. So that was basically him hitting them back with words. And then goes, he hits them with this. And I think I can play this because uh, you correct me if I'm wrong, but this is on Twitter. It's public. It's really short. You mind if I play it? I don't know, but go for it. This is Dana White. In 2000, this was two, March of 2021. All right. And this is Dana White uh, talking about John Jones, who was having a money holdout at the time. Here we go. And the idea of a John Jones fight seems awfully exciting right now. John came out, tweeted, said, show me the money. What, what appeals to you most? Because it seems like that would be a, an amazing super fight. If I'm John Jones and I'm home watching this fight, I start moving to 85. <laughs> you think you think that's a fight that you'd like to put together next? I mean, we don't match make, but that sure does seem exciting. Listen, I can sit here all day and tell you, you know, what show me the money mean. I tell you guys this all the time. If you can say you want to fight somebody, you know, but do you really want to? And that is it right there. So basically saying he thinks that you know, whether Jones is going to get the money or not, is he really getting in line to fight Ngannou? Remember, mm -hmm. Jones went three years without fighting, and there was 18 months 
from the time he relinquished his belt in which he could have accepted an Ngannou fight at some point and also didn't. So I think that's what Francis is trying to say. Was, enough of this whole thing like I'm scared or it's all my fault. Let's not forget what happened. And he found that video. And and that's Dana, of course, at the time, showing a ton of love for his UFC heavyweight, Francis Ngannou, and diminishing Jones, the holdout, the money holdout. And now mm-hmm. the script has flipped. Yeah, I mean, um, I think it's a great burn. Um, I would even say going back to before all this too, George, like John Jones taking a dig at Francis Ngannou, and even his response was was short and sweet, cross the street. You know, I think Francis Ngannou is mm-hmm. doing a really good job of not being a like responding, you know, not running away from any of this, responding, but doing it kind of in just short, calculated jabs. And um, there mm-hmm. are things that Dana White does that, like, you know, even when I think at the same press conference, when he's talking about how he believes that fight with John Jones and Francis Ngannou would look probably the same way John Jones and Surreal Gone did. I think he even kind of turns it on everyone. Like everybody else in here agrees too, right? Like something like he does certain things. He's, he's kind of easy to, to read. And I think Francis mm-hmm. has just caught on to that. And so every time he does something like that, he's been able to check them. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think if you've been a fan of the UFC for a while now, if you've been watching, you just kind of get, Dana's going to be Dana. He's going to do his Dana things. UFC is going to do their UFC things. And fighters are some fighters do one thing. Other fighters do others do other things. But uh, I don't I think we're getting to the point now where I don't know that the things they say really convince us. You know, when the UFC comes out and says, I think uh, Francis Ngani would get destroyed by John Jones. Like, I, I think we're starting to the fans are starting to get that almost as like a pro wrestling angle. Like, eh, he's. He's got to do that. You know, like uh, when when they release all these fights on a day that Francis Ngannou makes his announcement, I think fans just kind of get it now. You know what I mean? It's not as surprising. I don't know that what Dana White says carries as much venom as it did back in the day. I guess I'm disappointed that the most powerful man in our sport plays these games. Is what it boils down to me. It's like I don't know. There's times when, like, you'll see an interview with Roger Goodell. It doesn't happen often, but when it does, it covers some controversial topics, and he'll give you some answers, and you feel like, okay, now I know where the NFL stands. Or well, with a NBA. politician or celebrity, you know, like, you, you're like, okay, there. But Dana's out there so much that he's covering up one lie with another promotion. Uh, you know, stretch of the truth over here, and maybe over here, a finagling of words. It's just constantly this whole like wish wash thing, you know, like because he's the only guy that does the media, and the sport is literally year round, and he doesn't mind doing it. But excuse me, he's out there so much, you're like, oh my god, enough already. Sometimes, well, look at Adam Silver, right, and the way he's been asked about John Morant and and the things that he's done. Like it's just a different tone that you get from people in the same position from other sports. And I get it. MMA is edgy. That's how we started, but it doesn't mean that we have to finish that way. We don't have to consistently be that, 
you have to kind of evolve with the system as well. And uh, trust me, like, I kind of like when Dana's honest like that, when he says certain things that mm-hmm. are a little different than what you would get from, like you said, a Roger Goodell. I enjoy that, but to a certain extent too, you know? And you have mm-hmm. to be careful if you're going to play that game and you're going to be doing those types of things, then you better make sure that you're bulletproof, you know, in the things you're saying. And right now, Francis Ngannou is proving he's not, right? He's pulling up old quotes. He's saying, wait mm-hmm. a minute, you said this. He's, you don't really get that a lot from fighters because usually the ones that he's having these spats with are under contract. And this is a guy that's not under contract that doesn't really fear repercussions right now. And this is something that a lot of people talked about when it came to Francis Ngannou and his negotiations. Uh, the one word that got thrown around a lot was just freedom, you know, the freedom to be able to speak and speak your mind and not have to worry about things. Um, you know, there is something to that. There is weight to that in your life to be able to say what's actually on your mind and not worry about uh, will your next paycheck be affected by it. He did also say that he thinks that Ngannou thought there was this big old bag of money to make from boxing, and he's not seeing it. But I think basically him saying Ngannou doesn't want to take risks, even though it's kind of polished up in a certain way, but this whole doesn't like to take risks or whatever, I think within it, he's almost saying, I think Francis is a puss and doesn't want to fight John Jones. But he disguises it as he doesn't want to take risks or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, because remember, they said they offered him a bigger contract than even Brock Lesnar made, but he didn't want to fight against Jones. But they, they always seem to hint that he just didn't want the, the Jones fight, so the money wouldn't have mattered. It was the fact that he kind of didn't want to take a risk against Jones. Um, but you, sh- you should offer that because Jones won. If Jones hadn't won, he really wouldn't have that angle to play. He'd have to go back to the money line. So in a way, John Jones bailed out Dana White big time. Yeah, and you should offer him more money than you offered Brock Lesnar because we're Mm -hmm. in a different time and the UFC has more money now, you know, and that's probably one of the the big uh, complaints that you get from other fighters is your share of the pie doesn't match ours. And so, Mm -hmm. I mean, the second that came out of his mouth, I thought, well, duh, you make way more money now. You should be Mm -hmm. giving him more than what you gave Brock Lesnar. But even back then, Brock Lesnar would probably say that wasn't enough. Look how much you made. Look what I made. Right now, Francis Ngannou is saying, that's not enough. Look what you guys make off of us, and look what we have to do. It's not fair. So, um, again, like, you know, you can say everything you want, but you have to be able to back that up. And some people are going to call you on it, and some people aren't. And, And that's just the game that you have to play. Like, Dana White's job is not easy. I'm sure he picks up the phone and gets headache after headache after headache. And after a while, I think you just kind of become bitter. Like, I'm, I'm not saying that if I had his job, I would, pro- I don't know that I would go down exactly the same road as he's on, but I bet you I'd be a little bit more of a bitter person. I'm sure things would set me off a little bit more because a lot of people don't know what happens behind the scenes and the, the pain, pain in the ass that fighters can be. I get that. But your reward is what you've built and how much of that take that you actually take home. I think that's what's supposed to kind of make you uh, forget about that headache a little bit. All right. Well, this isn't going to end anytime soon. I don't think Dana's going to 
I think he'll fire back when he's asked about this. He's got time because you can tell the the things he rattles off aren't at the top of his head. He's got them pretty well prepared. Um, but he'll say something. His job is to make sure that you now think Jones is the baddest man in the, on the planet. Yeah. So he has to erase Francis by saying he wasn't fighting much anyway. PFL, are they going to be around? I heard they're getting Saudi money, trying to buy Bellator. But, you know, you've seen how this goes. Luckily, he's not throwing a lot of shade, and I think a lot of it has to do with they're also on ESPN, so they're kind of under the same umbrella, same family. But he did say they're 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 trying to raise capital. You know how that went in the past. It's not easy, this, that, he's whatever. Speaking of jobs. It's on our YouTube page, youtube.com forward slash MMA Junkie Video. And I know you guys hear this often when you go down YouTube rabbit holes, but it really does help. Click the like button, please. Um, so hit the like button, leave a comment, uh, share it, hit that little bell so that you know when we're live because Goes and I do the spinning back click video franchise every Monday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, where us and our colleagues will talk about stories like this, but really unpack them. For now, we're going to move on, though. We got our guests ready to go, Randy Couture. We'll be right back. We're going to chat with the natural. As you know, the PFL has their next wave of uh, regular season fights coming up. It's going to be three consecutive weeks. And a lot of this is on Big ESPN. What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes are back with another superstar from the sport of mixed martial arts, UFC Hall of Famer, former light heavyweight and heavyweight champ. Now he does the commentary for the PFL. And, of course, you know PFL's got a lot of fights coming up. Three straight regular season weeks starting here in June, back to back to back. It should be a lot of fun. All of it on ESPN. And these fights, Randy, um, you know, the finals are the finals, man. A million dollars to the yeah. winner. That's awesome. The playoffs are great as well. But talk about this this set of fights coming up. There's going to be some urgency for some fighters, which means a lot of them are going to sprint. There's going to be a lot of sprints here, less marathons, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, especially you look at, uh, at 155. There's a huge log jam there, a lot of three points, and some guys on the bubble, you know, are going to need to get some victories and some finishes if they have any hope of making it to the playoffs. Um, but there's some great matchups. And, and yeah, the, getting into the second half, that's when it really starts to – the butt starts to pucker. They, you know, they've <laughs> got to get out. they got to go out there and they've got to perform. They've got to score some points, get some bonus points, and hope to be able to score enough to make it into the top four and make it to the playoffs. Five minutes is a long time, right? At the same time, it can go fast. However, you know, if you're on the receiving end of somebody – putting you up against the fence, Greco-Roman style, Randy Couture style. <laughs> Man, you know, that, that, that you're, you're in a lot of trouble, right? But at the same time, how, how do you, how should a fighter look at this? Is it by what they should accomplish in the first minute, the second minute? Like, how much risk-taking without being foolish when you come to game planning for a fight like this? Like, for yeah. example, Shane Burgos, we just hung up, we just finished with him, and he knows, yeah. you know, both him and his opponent, um, they, they, they have a lot of urgency coming up here in their fight uh, in Nishikawa. Yeah, no doubt about it. And and you got to balance that. You don't want to go out and be reckless and make mistakes trying to get the finish. Uh, 
it's it's a tough one. You really have to temper that aggression, take your opportunities. They're trying to create your opportunities as you can without being reckless and, and out, you know, without putting yourself in harm's way. It's it's a challenge for sure. There's no easy way to do that. Now that it's a few years in, I wanted to run something by you. Um, we've seen the U, the PFL do uh, even two fights in one night in the mm-hmm. playoffs. We've seen them do three regular seasons. But now that we have a few under our belt, what do you yeah. think of this? What if they just start the year almost like Grand Freestyle? Just grab 16 fighters, make a tournament, and that's it. Like if you win, you advance, and if you don't, maybe according to how you do it, if you have to fill in through injury or something else, maybe you, you, your number gets called up again. But that's one idea. The other idea would be three regular season fights, and then now we take all those accumulation of points and we just get our best two and throw them in the final. Yeah, I mean that's an interesting idea, and I think their you know their goal was obviously to create uh, a true sports format that we were used to in every other sport with a you know regular season, a, a, a cha- you know playoff championship, and then a championship, a new title winner uh, in each of those weight classes every year, and that's what they they. They set out to do. Obviously, it was a little more complicated in the first two seasons when you had to fight, you know, a two-round fight in the quarters and a three-round fight in the semifinal to get to that final. And, and they were allowing more people into the playoffs than, you know, you, the, the, the point points required uh, and the number of athletes that were going to get into the playoffs were eight instead of four. So cutting in that half in these last two seasons have made that a lot more challenging. Like you're saying, guys going into the second half of the season are definitely on the bubble. They're gonna to have to make something happen if they if they came up short in that first first season fight. Um, lots of interesting ways this could go as we continue to grow and adjust to sport. And this organization is growing hugely, very very fast. So, obviously, just opened the UK offices. Had our first two shows over there, in Newcastle and Berlin. Newcastle sold out. I haven't heard yet what what happened in Berlin, um, but that's up and rolling. I'm headed to Riyadh. Saudi Arabia here in, in in a week and a half to hopefully close a deal on on uh, PFL Middle East. Um, obviously, we know they just signed Francis and you know made him the chairman for the PFL in Africa. So they definitely got plans to open in Africa and start doing some shows in PFL in Africa. I met in here in Vegas for the first three uh, regular season fights. We met with a group from Australia that's very interested and has some very great connections. PFL Australia so I think there's a lot of opportunity here to see this this particular brand in this promotion continue to grow and solidify itself the way it is you know ESPN's been a huge step up in exposure for all the athletes and getting a lot more time on regular ESPN now instead of just ESPN plus and ESPN 2 um, pretty impressed with where this is going so your ideas aren't out of the question I think there there are some ways to continue to adapt and grow into this sport, I think, as we start seeing more athletes getting hurt, not being able to make it in the playoffs, you know, or, or and I think that's one of the reasons why they moved away from fighting twice in one night, because you maybe don't always get the, you know, alternates end up having to step in on some occasions, and and that, you know, that, that there's no continuity there. So uh, I, I think there is some room, and your ideas are sound. Whether or not the companies want to embrace those ideas is the real question. Hey, I know I'm a wacky guy over here, um, <laughs> but if you guys need a spot on the board, I got lots of ideas. So you let them know. Throw my name in the hat. Why are you going to Saudi Arabia? Are you the chairman of 
PFL in Saudi Arabia or the Middle East? No, or, I, I, or, I'm not any of those things. I am a, a brand ambassador for this for for the PFL for the Professional Fighters League, absolutely. And okay. uh, and so you know, as they try to finish up a deal uh, with the royal family and and all that, they're taking a couple of us over there with them. Um, you know, to to hopefully smooth that out and, and help that happen and go well. Nice. Okay. Very cool. Um, you brought up Francis. You knew we'd eventually get to him. So he part of extreme <laughs> Francis today in the gym. I just came from the gym and, yeah. and had a photo shoot with a with a sponsor and endorsement deal that I have. And Francis was in there banging mitts with uh, with with Eric. So he's mm -hmm. definitely uh, you know he's excited and getting back after. It. What's your reaction and what's the biggest deal? What's the biggest thing from this huge deal, either that none of us have talked about or is not getting talked about as much? We know about, you know, the opponent getting $2 million. Yeah. Uh, he's he's going to lead the charge for PFL Africa. He gets the options to box. I think I even heard the word equity in there. But it, is there stuff that you can also fill us in on that makes this deal even bigger than any of us ever thought? Well, I think the big thing for, for Francis was the Africa thing. Uh, being the chairman for the PFL in Africa uh, and to foster and develop talent for the PFL from his country, where he came from, uh, in not just Cameroon, but the entire continent of Africa. And obviously with Usman and so many others making mark, you know, making a mark in our sport from that region now, it's, it makes a lot of sense to get involved there, create some more opportunities for folks down there, you know, build some more infrastructure, do some shows that's going to encourage more gyms, more opportunities for more guys to train and develop skills and move up the rankings and, and, and into the professional ranks like Francis has done. And a pretty interesting story. I think that's the biggest part of it right there. He asked for some advocacy uh, and, and, you know, athletes voice from the UFC. They weren't willing to give any of that. And, and that's what led him to, in a position to be able to have the PFL step up and, and give him some of those things that he really wants. Um, you know, the athletes advisory board is something that we've started that, uh, you know, myself and uh, Ray Lewis are on, I think we're adding Francis and we need to really get that up and running. That's, that's an idea that the PFL's had for at least a season now. So uh, I think Francis getting involved, shining a light on that voice and that advocacy for athletes is, is the biggest part of this whole puzzle. Randy, I know that's great for the PFL, for Francis Ngannou, for PFL heavyweights. But what about everyone else? Can you talk about how this might actually have a trickle effect for everyone else? And everyone well, else might be rooting for what just happened as well, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's certainly a, a lot of heavyweights coming up in free agency that realize if they, if they can, if they're good enough and have the credentials to get into a fight with Francis, they're guaranteed a, a, a better purse than anybody else is probably ever going to offer them, which is really, really unique and uh, an interesting thing that Francis negotiated for in his contract, for sure. And I think there's a ripple effect. I think you're going to, I mean, we already got the attention of a lot of the other promotions. Why did shortly after we start giving away million dollar purses for our, our championship final every year, did all of a sudden the Grand Prix launch in Bellator, all with million dollar purses through, through their, their format and the way they got there. Um, I think this advocacy and obviously we got guys like Jake Paul, certainly John Jones is still chirping about Francis and wanting to fight Francis. Now, whether or not that fight's going to happen, uh, I think there's a ripple effect in all these things that just happened that the PFL laid down that are, that are going to affect the other promotions and the fighters certainly have are paying attention. And I, you know, I don't think promotions like the UFC want that 
They don't want that advocacy. They don't want a strong fighter pool with, with a solid voice holding their feet to the fire and eliminating some of the BS in these contracts. That's why I'm a persona non grata with the UFC to this day. So uh, I know they're all paying attention. You know, why is the UFC lobbying and spending millions of dollars to keep us from getting the Ali Act amended to incorporate all combative sports athletes? They don't want those sorts of things. They want to keep their thumb on the pulse of this sport and keep it right where it is, be able to continue to pay fighters 12 to 15% of the take, not give them their fair share like every other professional sport in, in our society. You know, you see names like Big Ben Rothwell, Fabricio Verdum kind of speak up and put their hands up. Uh, they, they'd like, I've never really ever thought there'd be people out there saying they want to fight Francis Ngannou. But there are names out there, I know, right? Uh, careful, well, careful what you wish for. I know, right? Um, well, who who do you think? Like, uh, are there any leading candidates, or is there anybody that you think would make a good fight? Man, I, I tell you what, Ante Delia won won last year's championship in in stellar fashion, and he was very highly touted when we signed him. He struggled with the format early on, but I think he sorted it out. He figured out what he needed to do in his training and his preparation and his game planning to get through a whole regular season and make it to the playoffs and the championship. So, And that's a fight I'd love to see. He's a game fighter. He's a solid, well-rounded fighter. Him and Ante, you know, Francis Nagano and, and Ante D'Elia, is a, that would be a great fight. I would watch that fight, and I would pay a pay-per-view to watch that fight. I want to ask you a little bit about some PFL strategies. George and I are racking our brains all the time trying to figure out because every week is different and fighters are in different positions. Yep. We don't know what the hell to do. And, and we were wondering, as a gym at Extreme Couture, because mm-hmm. this is so different from everything else, have you guys ever huddled up and said, we need to come up with some sort of PFL strategy for our athletes uh, now that we've had a couple go through the system and what works best as far as the training? how to attack certain situations when you're down in points or do you have to be more aggressive or less aggressive or let the fight play out? It's gotta be a nightmare. As a gym, have you guys ever thought about like specific PFL strategies? Well, I think, I think there's absolutely specific PFL strategies going on. Uh, I've got a significant population of PFL fighters that are in the gym training and doing their camps now at extreme couture. Uh, Obviously, you know, Taylor Gordado certainly comes to mind. Uh, I think she's getting ready to fight Jackie uh, coming up here in one of these Atlanta shows. Um, but we have a plethora of of the guys that have committed and signed contracts with the PFL that are training in the gym. So I know that's something that's on Eric and Dennis's mind as they fashion those camps and try to help those guys not only get through that fight that they're staring at right then, but recognizing that they're going to have to turn around and fight again in seven, eight, maybe eight weeks, six, six to eight weeks and managing it properly mitigating damage in the fight if possible. Again, you walk that fine line, right? There's the challenge with this format. You know, going out and being reckless and trying to get that finish and putting yourself in trouble uh, can then cost you. Now, how do you recover from that in your second regular season fight? It, it, there's a balance and a juggling act here that's uh, another whole layer to the onion in an already very uh, competitive and complicated sport. Yeah, you know, there might be something to the way Sadabusi and OAM go out there and perform because they are, I think, keeping an eye on the the big prize that awaits you at the end, minimizing risks and then taking them when they can. But the, the important thing is to get your hand raised and to be able to compete in, what, eight weeks later, ten weeks later? Yeah, eight weeks. I think it's it's about eight weeks now. 
Yeah. So at the end it, of my career, I did that a lot. I mean, I think my last five fights were in 18 months, and I shortened my camps during that stretch. That was the actiest, act, most active I'd ever been in my mm -hmm. whole fight career. And I'd, I'd fought three times in a year before, but that was, you know, and that was, I thought that was pushing it. Um, but you know, this, this is interesting. It's been fun to watch these fighters step up and embrace the grind, embrace the adversity of, of the regular season and trying to get into the playoffs and do all that. It's been real, they've been doing an amazing job. Since you, you seem to know about what's happening with John Jones and Francis, and I don't know if you peaked at Tyson Fury as well. I wanted to ask you, how long will, is Francis Ngannou the baddest man on the planet? That's what I call him. He was the heavyweight champion. He had defended his belt. He's no longer with the UFC. I realize that. He hasn't fought in about 18 months. He had that long injury and all that mm -hmm. and the contract thing. Yeah. And now John Jones has taken, you know, the uh, he's the heavyweight champ over there. Tyson mm -hmm. Fury, boxing heavyweight champ. So they're all talking, but how long can he keep that? Is Do you believe that is he's lineal? Like as long as he keeps winning wherever he's at, it's Francis Ngannou's uh, unofficial claim? I, you know, I, I think he's lived up to that so far. And you know how it is, especially in our society. You're only as good as your last fight. You know, the, the fans are very fickle. And so you, you really have to block a lot of that out and just stay focused on what you're doing, what's best for you. I think Francis has done a pretty good job. I guarantee he didn't want to sit out for 18 months, but he definitely needed to get the, the knee fixed and, and get the rehab done, done properly so that the knee doesn't injure again. Um, so, again... You know, it's a really tough thing to say. It's like talking about who's the greatest of all time. It's such a subjective thing. Um, I, I don't think there's an easy answer there. Yeah, I, you know, I think just my perspective, it's silly for Francis to think he's going to step up and fight a guy like Tyson Fury at that level in boxing. It's like James Tony thinking he's going to step in at the level he tried to step in in mixed martial arts. It's not going to mm -hmm. go well. They have years and years and years of experience in refined boxing, which is different than what we do in MMA for boxing or kickboxing or any of that. If you can't kick a punch or take a guy like Tyson Fury down, what are you doing in there? You're going to have some serious problems. He's he's at the peak of his career and, and his skill set right now. I mean, look what he's doing with a lot of these guys. He he is the he's the predator and the top of the food chain in boxing right now. Do I think Francis could box? Certainly. Is he going to step in there with a Tyson Fury and be very impressive? Eesh, that's that's a big, big ask, honestly. Well, Tyson Fury did say four-ounce gloves. Now, who knows if he was just talking out of his ass or what. They have yet to agree on anything. I'm not even sure the camps are it's talking. Still, but I did four this when gloves, I was, it's pure boxing, right? It's not MMA. Right? It's, a, it's a boxing engagement. Well, this is, what, this is what I told an audience that we had on another show that we did. There was a time when Ray Mercer came over and he mm -hmm. beat Tim Sylvia in MMA. Yep. And then obviously that. we had Anderson Silva go over there and beat Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. in boxing. So the um, unexplainable kind of has happened. But do you remember when Conor McGregor landed, the one punch that he landed was an uppercut on um, on uh, Floyd Mayweather. But other what? than that, you know, they, he didn't really hurt him, but he did land one solid uppercut. And all I was thinking was with four ounce gloves, if Francis can land, that well, we saw he almost sent Alistair Overing to the moon. I give him a little bit more of a chance because he's a heavyweight. Than yeah, the old stuff you used to hear, like either Anderson versus Roy Jones Jr., Kamaru Usman versus um Canelo Alvarez. No disrespect to those guys, obviously, but like we talked about, it's a completely different sport. But being that yeah. they're heavyweights, does he have 
just that much more of a chance? I think he's always going to have that chance because he does possess that athleticism and that amazing power. We've seen it time and time again in mixed martial arts, get him out of trouble. Um, I think, he, you know, you got to give him the nod there, even in a boxing match against, against a guy like Tyson Fury because he has that power and that ability. It's always going to keep you in the fight. You know, and and I would suspect that Tyson Fury is not just going to poo-poo that. You know, I think James Tony tried to say, "Oh, I'm just going to knock him out," and I, I think that anybody who's paying attention realizes that's not very realistic. And mm-hmm. you better take his ability and his athleticism and his power seriously and box him proper. If you get squirrely with him, he he could very well catch you and knock you out. You're 59 years young right now. Your last fight was at 48. But this $2 million guarantee that the other guy is, because you're a huge name, if you weren't attached to Francis, to Extinquator, or if you guys could just put the friendship aside and do business, at what age would you have possibly considered this? 49, 50, 50? When did you finally go, okay, that's it? Because I know there was a yeah, point where you said, you know, if the number was right, you would come out of retirement. But when, when, when do you remember saying, okay, that's it? You know, I, when I walked away at, at 47, almost 48, that, that was that decision. It took me a year to come to terms with that and walk okay. away then. Uh, you know, the, obviously when Fedor came back out of retirement, the phone started ringing because that's the fight right. everybody right. wanted to see when we were both in our prime. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm 50 years old now. I'm not, I'm not stepping back into and, and climbing back into fight shape and thinking I'm going to do that and not end up having to have a neck surgery or, or, or something pretty significant. That's what led me to stepping out when I stepped out, you know, the discs in my neck from C4, C5, all the way down to T1 are just tired of my crap. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to have to have a fusion. Everybody I know that's had that surgery almost to a man has got no range of motion now and they're still in just as much pain. So I'm trying to do my best to avoid that. It's one of the reasons why I'm not competing in any grappling competitions or anything like that. I would love to be doing that, but I just don't want to have to have a neck surgery or anything that's going to affect the quality of the rest of my life. I've done it and and I don't need to do it anymore. Yeah. And it was one hell of a career. How how much have you, when you have trained with Francis out of one to a hundred percent, how, how much have you guys gone, you know, have you gotten to 70 or 80? What is it like to be in there? Is it like, I haven't honestly. I haven't honestly. I'll tell you this story. You know, they in 2020, obviously the PFL took the year off, and Mm -hmm. they didn't want to mess with the. They spent a lot of time and energy building a platform. They didn't want to kind of half half asset, frankly, you know, with the quarantines and everything else that was going on. So they said, no, let's just take the year off. In that year, they started the production company. Hey, Randy. Would it be all right with you? We do a four-part series on your career and, and you and where you came from and all that. And I'm like, man, that's flattering. That'd be amazing. Okay. Part of that, you know, they asked, you know, we're halfway through filming all of that. And they're like, hey, man, would you go into the gym and, and train with the guys? And I'm like, yeah, I don't do that very often. But once in a while I do. And I'm happy to go in there. So I go in there. Of course, the first two guys I get paired up with are, are a little bit smaller. And that goes great. And then my third round, I end up with Francis. Francis double legged the shit out of me. I mean, he just blasted me with a double and I did not get back up the rest of the round. I spent the rest of that round underneath Francis trying to find the daylight again. And they're they're filming the whole thing. I'm like, oh, that's going to be great on film. Wow. (laughs) But yeah, that's the only time I've really actually mixed it up with him. And he, and again, this was while he was in that mode of shoring up his wrestling and going, getting ready to, to go out and fight Stipe again. And, and, you know, hopefully have a, done the work to have a better outcome. And obviously he did. 
Wow. Uh, so, I, you know, that was the mode he was in. And I have not been freight train doubled like that in a very long time. Uh, it was very, very impressive. And he's got a lot of power. Did you play it off? Did you like say, uh, and so that's how we built. I was literally trying to survive the five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this is the last question here. And I think we can rely on you because you've done it all. You've seen it all. Um, You've signed a lot of contracts. Now, I know that a lot of fans are going to say, well, can't Francis and Jones cope remote? Like that rarely if ever happens. Bellator's mm-hmm. done a little bit with Ryzen, Strikeforce back in the day. Chuck Liddell went from the USC to Pride. Okay, so we've seen it a few times over 30 years. But one thing I always hear is, well, the first obstacle is each promotion has their own network, and they don't want to – so that's a thing. You know, first of all, the promoters may not want to release the guys, but the other mm-hmm. thing has to do with television. In this case, you're both part of the ESPN family. Yeah. So is it is it still kind of unrealistic, or is there maybe an opening – uh, for this possibly having a both promotions can make a lot of money. I think you make a good point in that the TV part of that, the network and exposure part of that is solved because both entities are on ESPN. I think the landscape of our sport and the contracts, the restrictive contracts in our sport are going to prevent that. The Fedor fight would have happened if a co you know, if if the UFC would have agreed to a co-promotion with M1 Global. They had agreed on money. What they hadn't agreed on was doing any co-promotion, and the UFC told them to take a hike. We're not going to put you guys over and do a co-promotion with you. I don't think the PFL has an ego problem like that. I think they would be happy to entertain a co-promotion between another promoter and themselves to make a big fight like that happen, certainly in the pay-per-view model that they're getting ready to roll out. So I don't think that's out of the question there. And like you said, I think the TV part of that has already been solved because we're both in the same place. Man, I lied. I got one more. Is, can I give you one more? <laughs> Let her in. Okay. So maybe you can quell our fears. And I don't want to be a hypocrite and say, oh, they said or anything. No, honestly, this is what I feel. Because, mm-hmm. look, I appreciate what Francis did. Two million to his opponent. Equity, this, that, all these things, right? Yep. But I've also lived through the elite XC era. I've also lived through the affliction era. And so, yeah, yep. some people got some handsome paydays. But then again... They couldn't sustain, and then they went out. I don't want that. I love PFL and Bellator and one pushing the UFC. I like these opportunities for these fighters. So as much as you've been privy to from the business side, how can you quell my fears and anyone else that thinks, oh, my gosh, this might be a little bit too much, you know, them. You know, we love it when they go into free agency, but this is a big fish they land. Yeah, I understand your concern there, and, and, you know, they've done a great job, and, in funding this and, and being very diligent. They are taking care of these fighters very, very well. I mean, Kayla Harrison right on down the line the, in the regular season fights and the, in those championship fights are getting paid very, very well. They're taking care of them, and that's what needs to happen in our sport, and I think they're setting that example for the other promotions. Uh, are they being, a little, you know, too frivolous, too giving? You know, are they, are, are, are they risking, you know, putting themselves in a financial I don't, I don't think so. I think the people that are behind this and that are running this are very smart. They know exactly what they're doing. Um, they've done a great job in raising capital. It's one of the reasons why we're going to Saudi Arabia here in a, in a couple weeks. Uh, you know, they want to bring more culture to that part of the world. That's why they just held the, the World Cup in Qatar. Certainly, uh, money is not an issue for the, the people, the you know, the royal family and the people that run that part of the world. So I think that PFL's done a very, very good job of raising funds and using those funds appropriately. 
to explode the way they have and grow as fast as they're growing. So you certainly hope they don't get growing pains and don't grow too fast, outgrow themselves. I think there's a genuine concern there. Got to be able to keep up with everything. Um, but they, it, from what I'm seeing, and I get to see a lot of stuff behind the scenes, it seems like it's going very, very well. I don't have any concerns there. That's great to hear. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for keeping it 100 with us like you always do. And we look forward to these next set of fights coming up here in June in Atlanta, all of them on ESPN. These fights will determine who moves on to the, the playoffs. Thank you, Randy Couture, for your time again. Thank you guys both. I appreciate you both. Thanks for having me on. Great to see you both. Well, I'm glad we got Randy to actually weigh in on some of this stuff going on with Francis. Um, and, uh, you know, he's close to him. Francis mm -hmm. trains at Extreme Couture. And so they're, in a way, teammates. I'm sure Randy's a mentor to everybody there. And now they share something in common, and that's, like, what do you say? Persona non grata with the UFC. He's just, they're both, I guess, technically in the same doghouse now. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's pretty cool of Randy to, to keep it real and say some of the things he said. And that's kind of who he's been. That's why people respect him. I think for going forward, man, with Dana White, like I think his best strategy is just not talk about it. You know, like if if he if Francis Ngannou, he's only important if you keep talking about him. I would just say, look, you you know, this is the biggest organization in the world. I don't I don't need to talk about Francis Ngannou. You know, he's with the PFL now, and just move on. And like you said, keep building John Jones. But that I have a feeling it's not the end of the saga. Yeah, I agree. All right. Um, this past weekend we had UFC Fight Night, Dern versus Hill. It was basically UFC Fight Night two twenty four is what they're up to, and Mackenzie Dern in the main event defeated Angela Hill, and the scores were really lopsided: forty nine, forty three, forty nine, forty four, forty nine, forty four. Now, that said, it was an entertaining fight, despite the fact that it was one-sided. Angela Hill did win a round, but she also got mauled a couple. Uh, Dern looked good, whether it was on the feet or on the on the ground. And then Post-Fight said she wanted to fight Rose Namajunas, which isn't that crazy. Why? Because on Tuesday, when the UFC made their uh, batch of announcements, one of them was that Zhang Wei Li is going to fight against uh, Amanda Lemos. Uh, so that basically means Rose Namajunas, who's beaten her, beaten the champ twice, is out of the Zhang Wei Li sweepstakes. Now, Rose has also said she'd like to try 125. And I think she said that when Carla was still champ. And Carla's beaten Rose twice. So I think Rose knew, well, I'm not going to get a whiff of the title anytime soon. So maybe I'll fight 125. But I still haven't heard of a fight booking for Rose number units at 125. And with Zhang Weili now holding the belt and Rose being 2-0 against her, you know, that means she's always going to be somewhere in the hunt, right? So mm -hmm. this call-out by Dern, I think, is kind of spot on. I think it's a great test for her. Yeah, and it seems like something that she maybe thought about before the fight. But uh, her doing that call-out respectfully and the performance that she put behind it 
it just seems like signed, sealed, and delivered. Like, I don't understand why that wouldn't be a good thing. It's one of those types of fights where you ask yourself, okay, a win here, that says a lot about Mackenzie Dern and who she is. And then for Rose, if she wins that fight, well, it kind of reminds us that she's she's still there. You know, she's still a formidable uh, person to face in that division. So it's, yeah, it makes sense either way. Like, if either girl wins, it's probably good business for the UFC. I think it would be a huge fight, to tell you the truth. And goes, did I happen to address Angela Hill and her comments about the rankings? Did I do that on Junkie no. Radio on Thursday? Or You brought it up, but you didn't get to it. Okay. So, I'll bring it up right now, and I'll try and do it quick. Um, she basically just, when asked about the rankings... She may have even said to hell with the rankings or F the rankings. I don't know. She says, look, you guys always ask me about it, but I am I just don't pop in there. Well, here's the reason, Angela Hill. You're 15 and 12 overall. This is when you said it. Now you're 15 and 13. In the UFC, you're 10 and 12 when you said it. Now you're 10 and 13. You've only had win streaks of three, I believe, is their highest when you've been in the UFC. She did start out six and two at Invicta. She won a belt at Invicta. But when she came over to the UFC, I think three in a row is the most she's done. And when she's gotten the big fights, she's just come up short. Now, I'm not trying to shit on her or anything like this. I'm just addressing why she probably hasn't been in the UFC rankings. And when it comes to UFC rankings, me vale madre. I'm not even on that panel. I've been asked to be on the panel, but I'm not on it. I have nothing to do with it. But I know how rankings work. And I'll tell you something. When rankings pop up and someone has something to say about it, my feathers go up and i went back and looked i've done the ranking since 2013 for usa today sports and mma junkie the highest she got was in february of 2018 when she was as high as number nine and then i believe it was 2021 or somewhere around there she got as high as 11. so we do one through 15 and she did appear in our rankings on two different occasions. Um, but, but, but when you're nine, you obviously break the top ten, too. So that was huge. Um, they may not mean as much to you as the UFC rankings, but, man, I'm telling you, the UFC rankings get clowned so much, I would almost say ours, who have been around longer, are probably more prestigious and more correct than the UFC rankings. I mean, in fact, I know they are. So that's just my two cents on it. It doesn't matter now because Angela Hill didn't win. But when I looked, I said, well, what if she does win? What are we going to do with this? And guess what, folks? She would have moved back into the top 15. I maybe I, I don't think I could have sent her that high just because she has a lot of losses. This would have been one where the head-to-head -head wouldn't have been necessarily reflected because Darren's mm -hmm. just way ahead of Hill. Um, and so... With Hill having so many other losses, there's probably a chance that Dern has beaten someone that Hill's lost to, I guess is what I'm trying to get to. So, But she would have had to have been in because she'd beaten a ranked fighter, and she would have been on three in a row, I believe. So um, anyway, that said, again, uh, somehow Angela, Angela Hill survives, and I think because she's done a lot of solids for the UFC, she's a frequent fighter. She's only lost to the top. She seems to have Dana's respect when he talks about her. So I think she'll probably get another fight, to tell you the truth. But um, yeah, 
as a title contender, though she's not that, and she's not a ranked fighter either. She she needs to know her place here in the in this when it comes to this ranking team. She's she's a tough out. She's a good fighter. Um, this this last fight here is probably a really difficult one to analyze because it was probably one of Mackenzie Dern's best. If it probably was her best performance ever. And no matter who you put in front of her that night, she probably could have got a W. Like she looked that good. I was waiting for her to run out of steam and it just wouldn't happen. Uh, So everything just kind of worked out for her, which came at the expense of Angela Hill. And I don't know that it's so much because Angela Hill isn't a good fighter. I just feel like Mackenzie Dern probably would have done that to a lot of people. But Angela Hill was the one that wasn't in front of her. And unfortunately, she's the one that's going to get looked that way. You know, if you look at her face, it was battered. And she she took a hell of a beating. Um, but yeah, you know, if you put the the logic there and you spell it out, I think anybody else that's listening to this would would have to agree there on that in the rankings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's address the rest of the card will pass before we get out of here. Anthony Fluffy Hernandez defeated Edwin Shabazian. Pretty impressive because Shabazian kind of hurt Hernandez early mm-hmm. on. But then Hernandez, over the course of the rest of round one, round two, and the early part of round three, basically took control of the fight. Um, and he blasted Shabazian pretty good. That's like four in a row for Fluffy. He wants bigger names now, higher-ranked names, I should say, maybe. But uh, quietly, this guy's become something, Brian. You know, we saw him through the ultimate, sorry, uh, they know I contender series. He's one of the early guys and. He was quiet and shy. I remember he used to like to cuss a lot. He was from a small town. He was kind of like a country boy, a Hispanic country boy. He doesn't pay attention to the sport. He just loves the scrap. That's a tough fight to break down as well because, you know, once Hernandez got got things going, yeah, you could tell. And Herb, I think it was Herb Dino was the ref that was warning him as it was going on. But early on in that fight, I thought it actually could have ended. You know, right, right place, right time. Fluffy was just able to kind of get a hold of him and get out of a little bit of a hole. But I thought Shabazian probably could have ended that fight. And it's weird because Shabazian kind of has these performances where at times you look at it and you go, man, this dude's like top notch. He he can really contend. And then there's times where he just completely falls apart. And um, this is one of those. But again, it's like I don't know that a lot of people on the other side of Shabazian taking those shots would respond that way. It takes a certain individual, a guy like this guy, you know, like Hernandez, to be able to uh, to respond and come back in that type of fight. So it's like, if you're Shabazian, yeah, you're going to hang your head on a loss. Um, it, it does suck, but holy crap, man. If you're Hernandez, you, you really got something here. And the thing is, like, I feel like he could still improve. Like, he could get better if he was part of like a, a bigger camp or if he spent more time uh <laughs> away i, I, Careful I just now. Careful well, no, no, no. i know i know but like if, you know a lot of fighters and, a lot of fighters will yeah. take will go out and spend time in thailand or something you know like he seems to just kind of be a home body um mm. i i really think this kid can get even better yeah well you and i did see him once with griffin Max Griffin over at Extreme Couture, so maybe he can branch out a little bit more. But I hear what you're saying. He does seem to be a homebody. He loves his wife. He loves his kids. 
and he loves being around the small rural town he's from dunnigan california i believe uh sounds like he's just like a, a ranch guy a farm guy call me when i need to fight but i don't really follow the sport it's kind of unique to tell you the truth lupita godinez defeated emily ducati they agreed on a catchway to 120 because if you recall ducati filled in for pollyanna viana late notice joaquin buckley at welterweight defeated andre fialio tko kick carlos diego Ferreira. Ooh, flatlined michael johnson stiff completely stiffed him that one was tough to watch because Michael Johnson's always been a favorite of mine. And um, Cajeda, who hadn't fought in like in 17 months, he got the job done. Yeah, Johnson's a good guy. And did you by any chance see the um, when they put the Emmett knockout right next to it? And it was mm-hmm. almost identical. The punch that was thrown, the way it was landed, the positioning mm-hmm. on Michael Johnson, like everything was almost identical. Um, it's, wow. It was nasty, you know. And um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully he takes some time off and recovers from that. I agree. Boris Chef defeated uh, Mahashati. Uh, Carolina Kovalkiewicz defeated Vanessa Demopoulos. Gilbert Arena defeated Orion Kose. Kovalkiewicz and Arena, aside from winning their fights, they also get an additional 20% from both Demopoulos and Kose, respectively, because they didn't make weight. So big, big days for... Paydays for Cara, Carolina Kowalkiewicz and Gilbert Arena. They get Irvina, excuse me. They get their show, their win, and then that 20%. So that's pretty good. Pretty good. I got to give it up for them. Rodrigo Nascimento defeated Euler Latifi. Chase Hoover moving up to lightweight. Defeated Nick Fiore. Natalia Silva defeated Victoria Leonardo. And Thumba Garimbo defeated Takashi uh, Sato. The bonuses went to Dern and Hill for fight of the night and Carlos Diego Fajeda and um, Vyacheslav Borshev for their finishes in their respective fights, which means uh, Joaquin Buckley didn't get a bonus and neither did Fluffy Hernandez nor Gilbert Arena. You know how that whole thing goes where sometimes they do more bonuses and sometimes they don't. This is one way they didn't, just four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought uh, Kovokevich, that's one that stood out for me because when you think about it, you know, she was like kind of on her way out. We were all kind of shoveling, sho- uh, shoving her towards the door. And she's been able to turn things around and actually show like not just that she belongs there, but like a lot of improvement. She she just looks a lot more confident, a lot more crisp. Uh, her, her game has rounded out a little bit more. I'm excited to see her pop up on a card again. At one point, she had lost five straight. Her moving to American top team, though, something changed. So good for Carolina Kovalkiewicz. Lastly, um, Luis Palomino, he's going to be fighting on June 23rd, defending his lightweight championship. He is a champ champ over at BKFC. He's also undefeated. In my opinion, he's the best fighter they've ever had because of these accomplishments. He's fighting also an undefeated um James Lilly, who is 7-0-1 and 3-0 under the VKFC banner. So this should be a good one, and it's coming up again on June 23rd, so it's not too far away down in Hollywood, Florida. Yeah, it's good to see him finally get a fight, and hopefully, uh, you know, this one, 
uh, it's not one of the the biggest names, you know, that that gets thrown around in BKFC. But if uh, you just can't deny Luis Palomino, he keeps winning. You know what he's doing over there is so impressive. We spent some time with Baboon. Such a cool guy, man. I'll always be a fan. And then, of course, over at WSOF, him and Gagey threw down as well, man. They had literally the equivalent of a Bonner Griffin fight. Um, <laughs> it, it if that fight was in the UFC goes, or if the UFC requires that footage, they'd have every right to make that a Hall of Fame fight one day. Oh yeah. Lastly, uh, this weekend is Kai Car France against Amir Albazi. They're back at the UFC Apex. I apologize, not this week. Next week, this week the uh, the sport is kind of off. Honestly, uh, no Bellator, no PFL, no one championship, no UFC, none of the major organizations. I'm not sure about the regionals. Check up on them before these. Everybody's off, so that's kind of cool. Um, I did want to say one last thing. Conor McGregor apparently is going to re-enter this testing pool pretty soon. And if you count six months from now, it sounds like he could fight December in Las Vegas, which is usually where the UFC goes, per second week of December. It looks like he would qualify for that. He would not make the November card in New York. But as you know, that's supposed to be John Jones versus Steve Miocic. So I think they got that handled there as far as their main event. But they could possibly fight in Vegas or maybe he fights in January and has one of the years, one of those, the year of McGregor or whatever, where he kind of can do a few fights in one year and maybe make that Forbes list uh, that, that he was at the top of a few years back. That's the little strategy with basically fighting in January. So keep an eye on that. We'll see how that goes, and hopefully he gets in that testing pool soon. Mm-hmm. You're still on McGregor with versus Chandler at this point, right? Yeah. 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 Me too. All right, folks. We're gonna get on out of here. Thank you so much for your time. As always, we always appreciate the effort you make to keep up with us, the show, our other stuff, including spinning back click live every Monday, noon Eastern, nine AM Pacific. We uh, will see you on Thursday. Go out and be a champion. Take care. <laughs>